0: chapter 4, 1st Peter 4 is where we'll be centering our time of study. 1st Peter 4, thank you so much for being here, brothers and sisters. We have visitors. We're thankful that you're here. We have people who are tuning in online and we're thankful that you're doing that, especially uh, we're mindful of our brothers and sisters who are not able or comfortable getting out at this time and so they're watching online. We haven't forgotten about you. We love you and we hope to see you soon, uh, but appreciate you joining us this morning. Uh, One of the things, Brent and I haven't gotten to this section of the preacher training manual yet. There's not really a manual. Uh, But um, I have preaching nightmares uh, where different things happen. Usually it's that I'm supposed to preach and I'm super late or I don't have anything to say or something like that. Well, last night I had a preaching nightmare. It was that uh, midway through my sermon I looked up and almost all of you were gone. (laughs) I wonder if... It has to do with the fact that we have just moved to going back to three hours of church on Sunday morning, and uh, so I I wonder if subconsciously I'm afraid that I'm going to go too long this morning. So I say all that to say, let's get to it. 1 Peter 4 and verse 1, I don't want all of you to leave uh, before I finish. 1 Peter 4 and verse 1, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so, as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. When Jesus started calling disciples, he told them to be different. He said things to them like you are a city set on a hill or you are the light of the world or you are the salt of the earth or unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees or don't just love like the Gentiles, your love should exceed the love of the Gentiles. He says you should be different. And difference is an old idea. Brother Kerry read this morning from the story of Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel acted differently and their their lines, their Uh, descendants acted differently. And suddenly there was a difference between the people who came from Abel's line or Seth's line and the people who came from uh, Cain's. God calls Israel and challenges them to be different from the nations around them. Different in God's, different in behavior. And so when Peter talks about Christians living in a different way than unbelievers, it's nothing new, but he is trying to steal us for the difficulty that comes with differentness. The question I want to ask is if Christians are supposed to be different, why are we that way? That's the question Peter is going to help us answer for a few minutes this morning. And I just want to tell you, and in some ways a lot of what I'm saying is directed toward our young people who wrestle with the challenge of being different in a world that tells you, at an age that tells you, the most important thing is fitting in. ...and becoming popular and other people liking you and being like you. And that the most important thing is to find people who share your interests and your passions. And so to be different from others is a terrible thing. And to them I say you need to understand that Christians are different... ...but to understand precisely why. Christians are not different because we enjoy being weird. Christians are not different because we hate people or we hate our culture... Or, and I need to say this loudly, because we hate fun. That's not why Christians are different. We're not different because we feel like we're better than other people. We're not different because we've got it figured out and they just don't. So we know better, so we're different because we're superior. I want us to think for just a few moments and listen to Peter tell us why Christians are different. The first reason is we are following a different example. And the example we're following is Jesus. Now, the letter of 1 Peter is directed to Christians who are experiencing or about to experience suffering. And what helps them in suffering is reminding them that Jesus suffered too. Turn back a page to 1 Peter chapter 2. In 1 Peter 2, he mentions this in verse 20. 1 Peter 2 and verse 20. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure... But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. So he says, here's a great example. Not that you do wrong and suffer for it. So you go to prison because you committed a crime. That's not the idea. When you do good and then you suffer for doing good, that is a virtuous thing. And the reason you can say that is because you're following a Savior who suffered for doing good. He didn't have any sins that he deserved punishment for, but he suffered for you. And so he leaves you, verse 21, an example that you should follow his steps. In 1 Peter 3 and verse 18, 1 Peter three eighteen, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. So Christ not only suffered, he suffered all the way to death and he did that for us. But that wasn't the end of the story. He says in verse 21 and 22 that God vindicated him and he is verse 22, gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God. So Jesus has been raised by God because he did not suffer because of his own sins, but he suffered for us. Now, chapter 4 and verse 1. Chapter 4 and verse 1. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So we need to arm ourselves, he says, with the same way of thinking. We need to think like Jesus. Here is the question. Can we think that Jesus would suffer in the flesh and that we never would? Can we think that Jesus would live differently from other people and that we don't have to? From Jesus, we gain a perspective, a new way of thinking that we need to arm ourselves with. And that perspective is this. Suffering and hardship are not deal breakers. They're not to be avoided at all costs. In fact, Jesus shows us that suffering can be a way that we draw closer to God and fulfilling the purposes of God. Suffering can be a way that we grow, a way that we affect other people with the gospel. And he says, arm yourselves with Jesus' way of thinking. He also says in verse 1, whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. He's not saying that, you know, as long as you suffer, you never have a struggle with sin because suffering people don't sin. That's not what he's saying. He is saying instead that when we have decided to be done with the life of sin, we are fully prepared to embrace the difficulty that will bring. It will be a little bit of a harder path. We will be swimming upstream when we say, I don't want to sin anymore. We'll be going the different direction than the one we were going previously. But we are willing for that because we follow someone who is willing to suffer. Bottom line here. Following Jesus means that we are unwilling to bend to the social pressure that is around us. We will not do things just because others want us to. We follow a different example. We don't let other people determine what we do... ...especially other people who have committed themselves to doing evil. They are not the people we follow. They're not the people we listen to. That's not the applause that we seek. We follow Jesus and that makes us different. Second, Christians are different... ...because we are living for a different purpose. The will of God. Look in verse 2 with me. 1 Peter 4 and verse 2. He says, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh... ...no longer for human passions but for the will of God. Now, we have lived for human passions. And what we found when we live for human passions, just think about your own life. When you did whatever you wanted, when you gave in to your urges, to your desires, to what you really thought would be great and best, where did that take you? I would suggest to you that the reason you're here this morning is you know that didn't take you to good places and you decided, you know what, maybe that's not the best way to live, to just do whatever I feel like doing. I will speak for me. I know myself. I know that I have desires that in almost every situation I'm in are not for my good. I know that my desires, my will, would leave me perpetually sitting on my couch, eating pizza and watching football. I mean, from now on. I would never do anything for anyone else. I would never exercise. I would never, ever, ever do any work. I don't like work. I like sitting down and watching football with pizza. Somehow, somewhere along the way, I had to make a decision. That's not what I'm going to live for anymore. What Christians are, are people who have decided there may be something higher and nobler and better than just whatever I feel like in the moment. And then it may be that I have to decide, you know what, that's not what's best. I might enjoy that. That might be fun for a little while. But there are bigger things than just living for my own desires. So, in verse 2 he says, we no longer live for human passions, but for the will of God. We know a God who wants our good and who guides us and matures us. And we trust him even more than we trust our own desires. My desires don't take me to good places God does verse 3 verse 3 for the time that is past suffices for doing what the gentiles want to do living in sensuality passions drunkenness orgies drinking parties and lawless idolatry with respect to this they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you so gentiles live in a different way he says in verse 3 These are things that Gentiles want to do. Now, remember, Gentiles are people who don't know God, or at least not the God, the God of the Bible, Jehovah God. Instead, their gods are selfish and fickle, and their gods cannot be trusted. You can't trust Zeus or Poseidon to have your best interest at heart. Instead, you have to live basically for what you want and what you think is best if you are a Gentile. And so self reigns. And Peter says, don't live like the Gentiles. They don't know anything about God and they're just living by what they want, by the seat of their pants. They have a lifestyle then that accompanies those passions. And not only do they pursue it, but did you notice that when other people don't pursue it, they criticize them? That's in verse four there. In verse four, it says specifically, with respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. So they slander us, they speak evil of us. Maybe they call us hateful and bigoted because we don't live the way they do. Or maybe they call us repressed and puritanical. Or maybe they call us narrow-minded or just ignorant, superstitious. There are a lot of words, but they all amount to the same thing. And Peter says the underlying problem behind that criticism is this. People who live for their own passions respond with hatred toward people who don't. So you can feel bad about that if you want, and you can let their criticism motivate you to do bad things. But at heart, it's a problem of Christians being different because we're living for something else. We're living for the will of God. Now, down in verse 11, Peter says, in verse 11 whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves with the strength that God supplies in order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. This is what Christians live for. We live for the will of God and the glory of God. We know our lives are bigger than us and that makes us different from those who do and believe and love evil. Third, Christians are different because we are dealing with our past differently. We have wasted enough Time. I want to focus on that idea. He says in verse 2, we don't spend the rest of the time in the flesh the way we spent the previous time that we've had in the flesh. In verse 3, he says, for the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. That word actually means enough. We've done enough, we've gone far enough, we've wasted enough time. And then he describes a series of things, I think you notice them, we need to at least go through them and kind of define them, that characterize Gentile living in verse 3. This is my version, I'm reading from the ESV, it has the word living in sensuality, which describes over-sexuality, sexuality sexuality in any context. people that are always thinking about sex and prompting those circuits in any setting all the time. And I think it pretty fittingly describes our culture. He talks about passions, which goes along with sensuality in that. In verse, uh, the middle of verse 3, he talks about three words in my version, drunkenness, orgies, and drinking parties, which are really references to alcohol in different forms and settings. And it is the, the kind of partying, drunken, drinking, sexual lifestyle. You can hear it in those words. Some of the different versions have uh, revelings and things like that, drinking parties. This is the idea of the lifestyle that we still observe today that has drinking as sort of the fuel for us to let loose our inhibitions and do what we finally, we finally get to do, what we've always felt like doing. And so he says that's what the Gentiles want to do because, of course, they're living for human passions. Then the last word is lawless idolatry, which reminds us that some of these parties were associated with religion in the first century. Now, here is what I want you to see when you read verse 3. Please listen to me. What this passage means is that Christians are not different because we don't have these impulses. You know, these temptations come and we're just dead to them. We have the same impulses as anyone else. Christians are not robots who have somehow sublimated all our desires and we don't have any anymore. Nor are we different because we're somehow better than other people who enjoy these things. He says the time has passed. The time is sufficient for we who ourselves once were involved in these things. No, the difference here is that Christians are dealing with our past differently. We're trying to learn from our past. We're trying to move on from our past and overcome it. We know what's down that road. We've been down it before. It's a dead-end road. And we know the pain and difficulty that came in trying to dust ourselves off and be forgiven and become a different person and slowly grow into someone better and move away from that direction in life. So we know what's down that road, and it's a lot of pain and a lot of shame, and we don't want to go back down that road. We have a past, but we're dealing with our past differently. So when we hear about a God who loves us enough to save us despite what we have done, and who teaches us a better way to live that we know is true, we say, that's the one I want to be on. And brethren, that's the reason we're here today. We know. We know what we've done. We know that we've been forgiven. But we also know there is still a part of us that says, yes, I do want to do those things again. I do want to go back to that life. And yet Peter says, we don't go back. We've wasted enough time. Regrets are universal. Everybody has regrets. Regrets. Christians are people who are trying to learn from them. Christians are people who don't want to duplicate them and who are building their lives around a different direction. Now, that decision has some fallout, as we mentioned. Look again at verse 4. In verse 4 he says, With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. I just want to say they will think you are weird when you don't go with them. They will malign you. So that means, teenagers, that you will not be as popular when you make choices to be different. That means we may miss that promotion or that that boy or that girl will not be as interested in us if they find out that we are not sexually available. And yet that's a difference we embrace because we know we want to learn from the mistakes we have made and others have made and choose a different way of living. We refuse to continue down a path of destruction. We have wasted enough time. That's why Christians are different. And the last thing I want to show you here is that Christians are different because we're living on a different timetable. I don't know if you noticed, but we've been talking a lot about time. Wasting time. You've spent enough of the time in the flesh, spending the rest of the time of our our time in the flesh. And what Peter is doing here is he is pulling our attention ahead. ...from where we are right now. It's not just about the moment that we're living in. It's about the future and where we are headed. So look in verse 4. He says, "...with respect to this, they are surprised... ...when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery... ...and they malign you. But they will give account to him... ...who is ready to judge the living and the dead." So they will give account, not yet, not now... ...but he is ready to judge all people. And especially, Peter is focusing on the fact... ...God's judgment is different from man's judgment. And that's what verse six is about. In verse six he says, for this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. All right, now if you're confused, you are not alone. That is a strange verse. I am not gonna be able to do it justice in my time, so I am going to try to give you the Cliff's Notes version of what I believe this is saying. Peter is talking about how people often judge us harshly even when God's judgment is different. And so then he talks about people in verse six who are dead and they heard the gospel. I do not believe that means they heard the gospel after their death. They are dead now, but they heard the gospel before. And so these are people who were judged in their time by the societies that they lived in as bad, and yet God judged them righteous. God declared them righteous. Peter has already talked in his letter about the prophets who foresaw Jesus and about the holy women of God like Sarah who submitted to their husbands and about Noah and his family and how they were saved by God. These are people who in some form heard the gospel and yet were derided by the people around them and yet God judges them differently than people. His point is, even if no one cares about you or thinks what you're doing is right, God is not people and people are not God. We're different because we're looking ahead of the rejection we see now to the vindication we'll have at the judgment. Verse seven, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. The end of all things. Christians live with the urgency of knowing that Jesus is coming back and we don't know when So there's a limited amount of time that we have on earth. We don't know how long that will be, but we know the judge is coming back. That's the point. We live on a different timetable. And when you contrast that with the world, something interesting happens. You know, our world lives in time denial. We try to push back the idea that we would ever die. We don't like to talk about that or think about that in our culture. And if we do acknowledge death in our culture, what we say is, well... I mean, we only have a little amount of time, so we better live it up. Better do everything fun you can, enjoy it. Because, you know, we're all going to die. And that's it. Christians don't live that way. We look forward to a time when all the wrongs will be set right. We look forward to a time when death is conquered and our bodies are clothed immortal. And we'll be with Jesus forever. And that gives us some some comfort and some peace. But there is also this, Christians also know that the time is coming when no one can work. And so there is a motivation and an intensity that says, well, the good that I'm going to do, the teaching that I'm going to do, the learning that I'm going to do, what I'm going to do for the Lord, I better do now. And so instead of saying, I'm going to live it up, it says, instead, I need to live for the Lord and do it now. And that makes us different. We're living on a different timetable. So Christians are not different. Because we're better or because we're weird or because we're hateful or because we haven't figured out. We are better because God has touched our lives. He has taught us a new way to live and that makes us different. We're not going to go back. But I want to say something else before I close. Somebody is asking, what does it mean though to be different? What is that? What are you talking about? In what ways are we different? Well, I want to say this. Different means we don't do what the world does. That goes back to verse 3. Remember verse 3? For the time that is past passed suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. The world lives in selfish, indulgent, short-sighted ways. And Christians do not. The world lives for every pleasure and excitement it can get. Christians don't. But I want to be very clear that that is not all that is involved in Christians being different from the world. Because different also means that we do things that the world doesn't do. And I want to call your attention to verse 7. 1 Peter 4 and verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. So in verse 7, he says, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Christians are people who are careful and serious and thoughtful. We seek wisdom. We want to use our time well. And we're going to pour our time and energy into prayer, he says in verse 7. To be a prayerful people, that is a people who are humbled, a people who are dependent on God, a people who are grateful, and so we are expressing that to God, and that's going to come out in our language. People will hear it. We'll say things like, I'll be praying for you, or I was praying for you, and it may be that we need to, to stop at certain moments throughout our day or build into our time this habit of prayer. So that it becomes characteristic of us. We are self-controlled and sober-minded and motivated to prayer. That makes us different. Because that prayer then relieves our anxiety and builds gratitude into our hearts and lives. It is a part of who we are. Verse 8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. We have people that we are extremely close to. In this passage, it's obvious that it's the Christians, the other disciples that that Peter has in mind. That we are in the foxhole together. We're doing the work together. We're building something together. We're sharing lives and hearts. Sometimes we're going to struggle with sins and we're going to help one another cover those sins. Not in the sense of just ignoring them, but in the sense of confessing and repenting and holding one another accountable and moving forward to better, stronger, higher growth. And we do that by loving one another earnestly. And we love all our brethren, all our brethren, even the ones that we don't jive with as easily as others. And we say, I love them and I'm going to love them earnestly and I'm going to help them because that's what Christians do. That makes us different. We do things the world doesn't do. Verse nine, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Hospitality is the ancient idea of loving strangers. I've talked to you guys about this before. We know this. This is the idea of In the ancient world, when you were traveling or moving from place to place, you probably didn't make a reservation at a hotel on your phone, okay? It was something where, and you're in a strange place, you've got to rely on kind people to take you in and give you what you need. You see that repeatedly in the Bible. And so that love of strangers, the idea of welcoming and sharing and meeting needs is what's involved in the idea of hospitality. Far more than just, are we going to have people over for dinner, although that's certainly a part of sharing and welcoming, the ideas of loving and providing. Jesus said, I was a stranger and you welcomed me. So are we the kind of people that will welcome those who may feel a little out of place and unwelcome and will we do it without grumbling, loving the stranger, without complaining about the sacrifice that it means for us? That makes us different. We do things that the world would never do. And the world will tell us reasons why this is not a good idea. You don't know them. They're strangers, which is the whole point. Christians do things. The world doesn't. Verse 10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. So we have gifts. What do we do with the gifts? We use them for each other to serve one another and glorify God. My talents are not for me. They are to be used to bless other people. So how am I helping the people around me? How am I encouraging the people around me? Those are questions that go through the minds of Christians because that makes us different. We're not about self. We're about others. We do things the world would never do. And in a me first world, a world that is lookout for number one, these things will make us different, that Christians will be a people of self-control and prayer and earnest love and kindness and service. It makes us different. I'll say it this way. For many years, I labored under the impression that being a Christian was basically summed up in a list of things that I didn't do As long as I didn't, and uh, my list was something like this, uh, didn't drink, didn't commit fornication, didn't cuss, maybe didn't steal, although that wasn't really, you know, it's kind of not optional, but not as big a focus. As long as I did those things, I was going to be different from everybody. The problem is, a lot of people didn't do some of those things. That didn't really make me different. But the bigger glaring hole I noticed is that when that was my definition of different, I wasn't really like Jesus at all. What defines us is not that somehow we don't do some of the things that the world does. What we want our children to learn and grow into is not just who they should not be. This is a call to something much higher and better. That we become a people who treat others with love and service. We become a people who focus on spiritual things and not physical. We become a people who look ahead of the moment toward what's to come. We are a people who live like Jesus. And that's why Christians are different. Because being like Jesus has always made people different from the world. That's what makes us different. So let's embrace that differentness. And follow Jesus. Might be there's someone here this morning. Who is ready to respond to the call of the gospel. To come out of the world and to follow Jesus. To turn away from sin. And to live a different kind of life. That you realize you've wasted enough time. Living this lifestyle just for yourself. And you want to live for the will of God. And you want to turn away from your sin. And give your heart and your life to Jesus. To be baptized into Christ and have your sins washed away. And to walk in new life. We'd love to help you begin that journey. If there is any need that you have, please come to the front as we stand and sing to encourage you.